hand, Lord Stark. You'll do as I command, or I'll find me a hand who will. And good luck to him. I thought you were a better man. Hey, everybody, and welcome to our podcast. I'm Duncan. And I'm Melissa. And this is Game of Microphones, episode 47. Welcome Yay. back, Melly! Huzzah! Thank Huzzah. you. So good to have you back. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm feeling very renaissance just because uh, this episode, um, with, all the, with the jousting and the whatnot. Yeah, with the, the tourney. Yeah, very renaissance-y. Nice. How'd, uh, how'd you like this app? Oh, sorry, I was just going to say I have a confession because, and I know I threatened to basically start watching all these episodes uh, on par <laughs> with the podcast. I basically jumped into season one, episode five. I mean, I've seen it before, but it's been a while. So I was like, I knew what was going on, but there was a part of me I was like, oh, shit, I wish I would have carved out time to watch <laughs> episodes one, two, three and four. It's all good. You're in demand, um, and if you need any refreshers, I'll be happy to provide. Okay. <laughs> While we're on the way, you got any questions or anything? Just shoot, and I'm sure that the uh, the listeners won't. What's that won't guy's mind. name? <laughs> Jory. It's Jory. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just so everybody knows, this is a spoiler-filled podcast. We are rewatching yes. um, the series <clears throat> from the perspective of someone who's seen the entire series up to season seven, episode seven, the season seven finale. So if you um, you know, if you haven't watched past season one, episode five, this probably isn't the best podcast for you to listen to. So you still no. still have time to, uh, you know, impale your podcast player on right. Jamie Lannister's dagger. And check yourself. Check you got to get on that shit. Homie. Yeah. This is like, <laughs> come on. And then once I'm, you're I'm, done, come back and listen. <laughs> right. Come back. And, I know I almost, I'm almost envious of people who are like, oh yeah, I still haven't seen Game of Thrones. I know. It's crazy. I'm I like, know. Oh my God. I almost envy that feeling of getting to see it for the first time. Right. I still have that for Sopranos. So, Me too. Oh, I've yeah? never seen The Sopranos. Yeah, I've been saving it. So I'm yeah. looking forward to getting um, into that sometime soon. <laughs> yeah, me too. Maybe we can get into it together. Totally. We can podcast about it. <laughs> sorry, that's a jingling of ice in a glass. I'm sorry for that sound. Oh, it's, it's, uh, it's how we know you're classy. Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> My water out of a mason jar. Yep, yep. All right, so let's jump into it. <clears throat> All right. This is our top five highlights of Game of Thrones Season 1, Episode 5, The Wolf and the Lion. What you got, Melly? What's your number five? Well, you know, it's funny because, again, I, I didn't catch up with the first four episodes, but uh, basically most of my top five are just, it's just a jumble of, like, nostalgia. Um, nice. Because it's been so long uh, since I've seen season one and the actors that um, my first, my top five was definitely like, oh, Ned, 
Yeah. Aw, he's so great. He's so lovely. What a lovely man. And then enters Robert, and I'm like, aw, Robert. He's so <laughs> brash. He's a brash man. Um, so, yeah, just uh, getting transported back to, uh, you know, and A, Ned's still kicking, kicking, and kicking it in life, and, um, and him and, and Robert's uh, interaction in this episode. Uh, and kind of, I, I jumped in right at the point where it's about, about to maybe start, you know, going yeah. in another direction. <laughs> yeah. Ned's still kicking for a couple more episodes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but no, it was just, it was really cool to, uh, to, um, to get to revisit uh, with Ned and Robert and, um, and just really placed me uh, back to the beginning. So, yeah, I, don't know. It, I know exactly just, how you're feeling, because that's exactly how I felt when I jumped back into episode one and seeing Ned and Robert and all these these dudes that we haven't seen in a while. Barristan, yeah. even he's you know, he's been gone yeah. for a little bit. Um, it's really cool to see these guys doing their thing again. I love all these characters so much, you know. <laughs> yeah, I do, too. Yeah, it was really like I mean, this is just, you know, I, I know a lot of people who can't handle Game of Thrones, and then I have my moments where I'm like, oh, God, this is really violent. You know, I mean, I definitely, <laughs> it's, 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 I don't know, maybe there are moments when it's probably the, not the best thing for your brain to take in and watch, but um, the writing and the character development uh, is just so fucking good. Um, it, there, it's just really, it's, and it made me start thinking about all these, kind of just we were talking before, also about all these other HBO shows that how HBO just became this like mega mega beast. hit making beast yeah. of I mean you know I've I, I don't know I've, I've I've loved HBO since I was a kid and they'd like you know play Beastmaster eighteen times in one day um. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious yeah I never that's uh, when I fell in love with it <laughs> I never watched uh, HBO until Game of Thrones I don't think. Oh wow, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I was I was a kid, a kid of the '80s. So in the summer, uh, if you were lucky enough to have cable, which my my dad did, um, you know, we we just that's we spent our time in front of the boob tube. HBO and MTV was what it was about. Home box office activate. <laughs> yeah, uh, but no, I just uh, just going into it, just yeah, just kind of like it was nice to be placed back with a uh, good old Ned and Robert. Hell yeah, I feel you. And yeah. the uh, the writing this season is just so good as well too. I particularly liked um, one scene that sort of stuck out to me, where um, Maester Lewin is having a, a he's, he's basically giving Bran his his lesson in heraldry for the day, um, mm -hmm. back up at Winterfell, and they're talking about the different sigils of the households, and it's a right. good way for to sort of um, give us the the viewers a history lesson. And it's it's exposition, you know, to some extent, but it's set in a, it's it's written in a, such a way so that it makes sense because this is something Bran would be doing and would be learning. So we're learning vicariously about the sigils and about the house words, and the, that these concepts exist through Bran, who's um, you know practicing it with Maester Lewin. Right. I liked, I liked how they um, he's they're going over the the Baratheon house house uh, sigil and he mentions that it's a, a stag and then he says now it's a crowned stag since Robert is king and that's cool little details like that sort of um, give us a neat little history lesson of how things change and everything like that over time so I really liked that really yeah. slick, slick writing 
Well, and those are the little nuances and things that you watching it through the first time, you know, you just uh, it, you're not going to pick up on or if you do, you forget or whatever. So it's a uh, there's so much detail in the show, as most people who listen to anything I podcast on. I mean, it's hard enough, especially with Game of Thrones, to keep track of who the hell anybody is and where they're from, or at least my brain doesn't work that way. <laughs> so going back again is definitely like, oh, yeah, all right. OK, and it locks it in. So, um, so yeah, I don't know. Just the, my five was just being, uh, psyched to get back into, you know, I don't, even King's Landing seemed like fresher and happier. I yeah. mean, later on, King's Landing is just like nasty and oh. crusty and uh, yeah, know, just, just so brutal. Everything just brutal and horrible. And I don't know. And this, it almost looked the outdoor scenes were like, Oh, it looks like a lovely place to live. Yeah. So pleasant. So, yeah. Nice calm walks in the garden and. Right, right, right. Soaking in the beautiful, shit-smelling city. Yes, yes. <laughs> All right, so my number five is the um, is the Cersei and Robert scene, mm, which is pretty mm. cool. Starts with uh, Robert sort of standing by the window in his chambers talking about how if the Dothraki come over the seas, they wouldn't be able to withstand them. And Cersei's, you know, like arguing against him, saying, you know, they don't have discipline they don't have armor and funny little line he's like that's an, a neat little trick you do there cersei you know you open your mouth and your father's words come out <laughs> <laughs> which mm-hmm. is pretty yeah. cool and um yeah what's the bigger number five or one and uh she says five obviously and he's like oh well, you'd think so but really one one um, there's you know five s- fractured separated armies versus one army where everybody's united like that's the more powerful force so that was a pretty cool uh, little math lesson, army math. Right. Uh, which yeah, is army. Neat. <laughs> um, and then they start talking about their relationship and their marriage, and it's just a really, really powerful scene, you know. So they've been together 17 years, and um, Robert's wondering what, you know, has held the kingdom together this whole time, and she says, our marriage, and he bursts out laughing because mm. what a just a ridiculous <laughs> joke. They've hated each other for 17 years, and he says, how long can hate hold a thing together? And it's just like, whoa, that's a hardcore statement to like be saying, to, you know, right? talking to your wife. It was odd, though, because it was, it was that, but it was also this oddly tender moment. Right, um, yeah. Where she wasn't just outwardly seething of her, like, just vile feelings for him. And, you know, they. I mean, actually, she laughed. It was in my notes. That actually was one of my things. But um, that she... Like literally guffaws, <laughs> you know, you know, you yeah. don't see Cersei. I think that maybe, possibly one of the last times <laughs> we'll ever see her laugh again. Yeah. Um, so it was it was kind of oddly tender because it was also just reminded you of life and sometimes just in relationships in general, people stay together so long and they just get to the point where they're like, eh, let's just be honest. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. They're sort of I'm just not really into you and. That's cool, whatever. Yeah, they're like (laughs) bonding over their hatred for one another, Mm -hmm. (laughs) if that that makes any sense, Um, which is hilarious. And then, yes, it becomes even more um, sort of intimate when Cersei decides to finally, after 17 years, ask about Lyanna Stark, you know, and she says, what was she like? And sort of Robert's sort of taken aback, you know, you've never asked about her, not once, why now? Which goes over this whole reasoning, like at first thinking of her just made her angry. 
So Cersei ignored the Liliana aspect of the whole situation. And then she refused to mention it out of spite. Then it became clear that her spite meant nothing to Robert. So why now? What harm could Lyanna Stark's ghost do to them that they haven't already done to each other a thousand times over? And uh, one of the most heartbreaking moments of this series for me um, is Robert's response to this, where he says, you want to know the horrible truth? I can't even remember what she looked like, you know? Mm -hmm. I only know she was the one thing I ever wanted. Someone took her away from me and seven kingdoms couldn't fill the hole she left behind. And, um, yeah, just, that's like a serious, uh, serious statement by right. Robert, you know what I mean? Like, I'm sure based on that, he would trade the kingship and everything just for a day with Lyanna Stark, you right. know what I mean? Just for a moment. Part, yeah, part of me was like, wow, that was really beautiful. And the other part of me is like, man, you could have toned it down a little bit. Like, oh yeah, she was cool. <laughs> she was all right. I mean, you know, we had a thing. We loved Play it cool. <laughs> my, my life has sucked ever since you know no one could i mean i i mean i get it you know him and cersei obviously have had no love but nothing could was, fill the was, hole she left behind. yeah nothing and he has exactly. certainly filled a lot of holes to try to make up for it <laughs> right right, <laughs> and, right. Uh, for me i'm like wow that's like super sweet and like you know sentimental and mm-hmm. like dedicated but then at the same time like he wouldn't have been True to her, even if he was married to her, you know, he was already out, you know, was it fucking wars and fighting wenches or whatever he said uh, um, back in the in the pilot episode. So, he, you know, I I think, you know, it's it's a bunch of banter and idealism coming from him, but I don't think he would have actually lived up to the uh, the ideal that he seems to uh, see in his brain. Right. (laughs) I know. I wonder. Um, so they're, they're sort of talking and Cersei tells him that, you know, I did, I felt something for you once, you know, and he's like, I know. And even after they lost their first boy, which was discussed uh, a couple episodes ago, you might not remember, Cersei mentioned that they had a, she told, um, Kat Stark that, that she had a child with Robert who's, uh, black haired, looked just like him and he was taken by a fever, um, which is interesting because it doesn't really fit the whole Maggie the Frog prophecy type thing and everything. So people speculate if she maybe had the kid like oft <laughs> um, or something. Right. Which would be horrible. I don't think that's the case. I think it really was a natural death. Right. But um, she. But that, she, that would have been Robert's only actual. His real heir. Child. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. His only I mean, legitimate <laughs> child. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So she says, you know, even after we lost our first boy for quite a while, actually, was it ever possible for us? Was there ever a time, ever a moment? And I feel like there's something going on. Like she's trying to figure something out here, you know, and, and uh, maybe it's it's this might be the moment where she decides that she's going to kill Robert once and for all or have him killed because right. he, he answers just no. Like, yeah, again, he could have, you know, like, oh, yeah, I mean, you know, sure. Like, but I tried or, you know, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, that one time you brought me that beer or that ale was so <laughs> yeah. nice. I was really the, appreciated that about you. Yeah, instead, was there ever a time, ever a moment? No. No, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Does that make you feel better or worse? Yeah, and, um, yeah. Right when I, he was, says no, there's like a pang of pain across her face, you know. And yeah. You can, 
and she plays it off like you're saying he should have <laughs> should have done um does it make you feel better or worse and she says doesn't make me feel anything and kind of just right. like shrugs right. and gets up and leaves but that is bullshit you could see her face before that and twisted for a second and in right. agony and and well, I think she's it's not a, one to open up like that too no. so that was actually yeah. a big thing for her to actually show emotion just to have it shot down and then just shown no regard yeah right <laughs> i feel like that may be the moment where she decides nope i'm gonna i'm gonna give lancel the strong wine and and have him have this guy removed um that was like potentially her you know sticking out a tendril a feeler to to make that final decision and that answer may have sealed robert's fate right it's kind of interesting so I, I just thought this was a really uh really powerful scene in a lot of different ways gives us an insight into Robert's psychology an insight into Cersei's psychology and how she lies to herself and to, to others and, you know, tells the truth that she wants to be reality. And, um, yeah, just really, a really powerful scene. That line about the seven kingdoms, you know, not being able to fill the hole that she left behind is super intense for me. Yeah. What do you, uh, what you got for your number four, (laughs) Mele? That little scene. Um, <laughs> well, let's see. I never put my things in order, so I just decide as I go. Sure. That's, that's, that's how that's I roll. Totally good. Um, let's talk about Littlefinger. Um, it, you know, when you watch shows, just like when you watch when you watch any show in the first season, like sitcoms, anything, you can tell that people are really um, they're really they're good from the get go, but they're working with their character. They're yeah, they're trying know, to find the flow and find the flow. And you know, season three, you see this character and people, you know, they're super comfortable and you know, and uh, it was just interesting in this episode. I feel like Littlefinger. I mean, he's amazing, uh, but uh, just seemed extra skeezy oh, to yeah. me. I think in time, even though he is still just always super sketchy, and your his intentions are normally not in the good place um by episode by season seven he's just you know uh a a much different person he's the same but yeah his demeanor is sort of toned down like he's still slimy but he's less outwards outwardly slimy you know Right. Yeah. Here you could almost see him open his coat and like see some like gold watches hanging or I don't, you know. Yeah. I mean? He's like, like hey, twiddling man, his mustache. You know? Yeah. So there's, there's a couple of really good scenes. There's the scene where he's, uh, uh, talking about his brothels with var- varies. I think it was with varies, right? He's talking about the clientele that he gets at his brothels. Right. Yeah. They're standing in front of the iron throne conspiring as Renly right. says when, <laughs> when he comes in. Right. But he's what like, a crazy I, scene. I would hate to be a brothel owner in that town. You know, he's like the, you know, people who want, you know, amputees and cadavers and young boys. And I'm like, oh, my God. That's a. Yeah. The devotees. Devotees are people who are into amputees. I think I learned that on House. Oh, wow. Or something Ooh. a decade mm. ago. It just stuck with me. Um, um, but yeah, just a little finger seemed to. Uh, but then varies as well, uh, kind of in that. I guess it, just beyond Littlefinger, there were there was definitely some like, it's almost like <clears throat> compared to where they are now. If the character is still alive, it's like the over dramatized version of um, what it get the character gets honed kind of down to in the coming seasons. Yep, definitely. That's so funny. Uh, good catch on that. Um, yeah, I really 
<laughs> I like that scene too. It was it was interesting watching it where you know they're both throwing accusations at each other and trying to keep mm-hmm. each other on edge and talking about how they're you know how they've seen each other and Littlefinger's like, "Oh, you saw me through your eyes." And he's like, "Through eyes I own." <laughs> you know. Right. And right. so they like the depth of their their spy infiltration is sort of seen on the table and or put on the table. Various is like, I seem to have seen you recently, and Littlefinger is like, I've seen you even more recently, just <laughs> this afternoon. In fact, you know, and they're throwing barbs at each other. And yeah, it was a sketchy off. That's what I called it. Yeah, sketchy off. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Littlefinger very sketchy off. Yeah, Littlefinger like really has various cornered for a minute there too. He's like, mm-hmm. I seem to have seen you with a certain foreign diplomat today, and we're friends, aren't we, Varys? You know, I would, I find myself caught in a place between where I have to inform the queen or keep a friend's loyalty. You know, and I'm just like, oh shit, like this is serious. Like these, this is a pretty hardcore game. These guys are all playing, right? <laughs> you know, and uh, then. Uh, Various ends up getting one over on him at the end where Renly comes in, you two are conspiring, you better finish quick, you know, Robert's on his way to a small council meeting, and they're like, what, Robert's coming to a small council meeting? Like, that's fucking weird. And uh, Various says, yeah, you know, bad news from overseas, what, you didn't hear? (laughs) (laughs) So they keep, like, one-upping each other the whole conversation, which is really funny. I freaking love these guys. Yeah, it made me remember, or, or not remember, but I was like, even though Varys was still in that first season, you're like, eh, I don't know what to think of this guy. But, yeah. you know, by season seven, I'm totally team Varys. Right. And now that we've, like, cons- you know, heard his uh, more insight from him about his position more consistently throughout the years, little things that we, we may not have noticed at first because he's so goddamn sketchy are much more apparent. Like um, when he's talking with Ned and... Um, he he basically shows up at Ned's quarters. Is this afternoon? That's the the meeting between him, he and Ned that Peter Baelish was talking about witnessing um, through his spies. And he basically <clears throat> tells Ned that Robert is in danger. And Ned's like, "Well, why the fuck? I've been here for a month, dude. You didn't tell me this beforehand." Yeah. And Varys is like, "Well, I didn't trust you beforehand. You know, he's a, I'm a servant of the realm, and right. I wanted to, you know, before I." talk to you about this. I wanted to make sure you could be trusted and that you'd actually help and that I wouldn't be putting myself in danger. And everything that he says here, here is consistent with, um, with his, you know, his stance later in the series that he's, you know, all about being for the realm and everything like that. So I, it's kind of cool coming back, coming back and having the context to <laughs> interpret what Varys says at this point of the story and to see that, oh, well, I th- you know, I think he really is legit and means what he's saying later because it seems to be consistent with what he's saying in the first season. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's um, <clears throat> I guess that's yeah, I know. I almost wonder, like the people who uh, who get to see this from the first time, I, I want to like almost study them as they go through. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And, like, take notes and then see how they feel by season seven. How how do you feel now about that character? Yeah, see what they notice, oh, what sticks out to them. Right. How their read is for different things. Yeah, when I, I've, um, I've re-watched this series on a couple of different occasions with people who hadn't seen it. And yeah. one thing that I like to do is subtly draw attention to things that will be important down the line, you know, by commenting about it, not necessarily pointing it out, but just like <laughs> subtly, subtly bring it into the forefront of the conversation, you know, right. or I'll, or I'll do things, I'll say things to mislead people so that they won't expect a big twist, 
you right. know, like <laughs> I love messing like, with oh, people. Man. Yeah, I hate spoilers. Love messing with people. There it's, are it's a lot of twists in the show. That's for sure. Definitely. So that um that wrap up yo number four. That wraps it up. Wraps it up. All right, my number four is um, Sandor Clegane. Mm, motherfucker. <laughs> a true knight. <laughs> <clears throat> um, <laughs> we we get Sandor's first sort of redemptive act this episode where he saves Sir Loras from his oh, evil... Oh, Sandor. No, I like him. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> I was thinking of the mountain. I'm like, I... wait, what's, that's, who's, what's the mountain's name? Gregor. Gregor. Shit. No, I like him. Oh, no, yeah. no, I don't like the mountain. <laughs> 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 I meant motherfucker. Yay. Well, even if you were like talking shit about Sandor, it's understandable at this point. I'm used because to calling him the hound. That's true. And and the, yeah, he's, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. He just ran down the butcher's boy and like acted all creepy and stuff. But That's yeah, um, <clears throat> you know, Loris picks his a mare in heat to, to, <laughs> to ride against Sir Gregor and it, it makes his Sir Gregor stallion all crazy and right. screws him up in the list. And um, Sir Gregor's unhorsed and Loras is all like pumped about it. And man, just uh, as an aside, did you notice Sir Loras's helm? Yeah, it was beautiful. Jesus. Yeah. His, his, <laughs> his helm is like next level, intricately it was uh, ornate. Beautiful. Just gorgeous. Uh, makes yeah, sense. Kudos to the costume, uh, you know, yeah, I rem- of I, yeah, totally. I remember that sticking out to me at, uh, when we first watched it too. But um, now that I know more about armor and things like <laughs> that, um, it really stuck out to me. Like, wow, that is a gorgeous thing. Oh, Valyrian Steel um, has replicas of that for sale too. I think. Oh Valy- wow, ValyrianSteel.com. That's where I got my Hound's helm. Nice. Uh, yeah, I remember. Cool. Um, I think when I first when I saw the first season, it was actually pretty close to uh, after I'd finished the first book. So it was it's it was interesting because, you know, I was still uh, living with the images of what I was conjuring in my head and my imagination to what these right. characters would look like. And uh, it was pretty spot on. But wow. yeah, Loris's uh, armor and the way they described him with the rose. I mean, it was just it was perfect. It wasn't like, eh, no, I don't. That's not really what I envisioned in my head. You know, that's so, so cool. Yeah, I uh, I watched the series up until season four uh, through through season four before I read the books. So mm. when I when I read the books, I was hearing the descriptions of the characters. And they were sort of melding with the visual that I already had from the TV show, which is kind of cool because I see like <clears> when I think about Tyrion, I see Dinklage, but I see him like without a nose, you know, and like a right, huge right. scar across his face. So I kind of liked that, um, having an image to work with already and then having my brain sort of expand on it and uh, mm-hmm. like go wild with it. It's pretty cool. But yeah, Sandor is not Sandor. not all stoked when um, when <laughs> the mountain freaks out, decapitates his horse. That was fucking Jesus. horrible. I, didn't, Just, I was not okay with that, by yeah, the way. Yeah, yeah, neither okay. was I. Sword! <laughs> And the, the squire comes running from the other end of the list. Yeah. With this massive two-handed sword. Um, normal men would wield that with two hands or not at all. Like, you just use it ceremonia- like for ceremonially. Um, right. But Gregor is just one-handed, like, whipping that thing around like a beast. And um, I don't, for some reason, this actor uh, doesn't seem as huge to me as I think he is. Like, he's he must be a big guy because they're not going to cast... 
an actor, like a tiny guy, to be the 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 mountain, obviously. Well, he's is he? It's the same actor that plays him in Zombie Mode, right? No, this is a. Oh, it's not. This is the okay. first of three actors that have played oh, um, the mountain. Yeah. So, so this is. Yeah. I agree with you then, because at first I was like, that guy doesn't look as big as. Is that what you're saying? You don't yeah. think he looks as big? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, don't, he, I don't really get okay, like these why. huge vibes off him, you know? Right. I, I was really trying to pay attention to how big he was relative to the things around him this <clears> watch through because previously I don't remember being floored by how massive he was. And this time I sort of did see like, oh, he is bigger than the hound. Okay, so he's pretty big. Um, and then when he was sort of storming off, he definitely was bigger, much bigger than the Kingsguard that was standing um, by the side of the list there and much bigger than everybody else around him. But but he's definitely nowhere near as, as big as Thor, Hefer, Hefer Thor Bjornsson, uh, the guy who plays the mountain now. Who's just Now, yeah, that dude's beast. huge. I just turned 30. This guy's like 28 or something. and he's, Are you serious? Yeah, he's like monstrous. <laughs> Yeah, he's like six, seven. I mean, he's ginormous. Like he's yeah, a big dude, he, and he's big. Yeah. yeah, he's beastly. Yeah, and Sandor, the actor, uh, Rory McCann, is six six. So yeah, he's really he must, he's six six. Yeah, he's a big guy. Oh wow, I didn't know that. And he uh, just he lives off in a boat off the coast of Scotland all by himself too. I think. Oh, of course he does. Pretty interesting. <laughs> of I want to meet that he guy. Does. He seems cool. I wouldn't expect anything else from him. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. I yeah. love him, by the way. I Me love too. him. I absolutely adore him. Um, yeah, no, the whole the mountain, the god damn it. Yeah, I was just like, oh, well, that's right. I I, ha- I did write a note here. I was like, I can't wait to see how he dies. Dot 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 again. Oh, like, the mountain for real oh. this time <laughs> again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and we get just, our. Like, he's so gross. So gross. So horrible, just in every way. Yeah. And we get our uh, we get our Clegane Bull preview this episode. <clears throat> so the Hound steps up to save Sir Loras. He's just not having it. He's not happy about the the mountain freaking out and uh, right doing his thing here so right. he steps up and jumps in the way of the mountain's monstrous sword and fights him off of sir loris saving his life uh, he's you know unarmed he doesn't have his sword mountain just like ripped him off his horse he's completely taken off guard and the sword fight is pretty intense man like um, totally the hound is a skilled swordsman there's no question about it he is every bit as good as uh, sir gregor um if if not better and uh the only reason that that Sir Gregor potentially has an edge, I think, is because of his strength, mm-hmm. which may just, you know, push him over the edge. And maybe his reach could be at play as well, um, combined with, you know, the extra length that he gets off of being able to wield a huge sword. Um, so, I, I don't know, I just love uh, the, the Hound. Great to see him do something good. This is his first thing that he's done this series that makes us, sort of humanizes him and... Uh, makes us respect him a little bit standing up for the not the small folk but the little guy in this uh, circumstance protecting sir loris and you know sir loris thanks him afterwards and says thank you sir and he says i'm no i'm no knight you know right <laughs> yeah he's great. grumpy <laughs> he's so grumpy <laughs> yeah it, totally yeah and sandor it's really he's got an interesting psychology like he i don't it's not described in detail exactly how it happened in the show but when he borrowed Sir Gregor's toy when he was younger and and Gregor flipped out and held his face in the fire. It was a toy knight. So Sandor sort of idealized or idolized um, knights and knighthood as a young child. And 
when Sir Gregor, his evil, horrible older brother, became a knight, it sort of tainted the concept of knighthood for Sandor and made him realize that, you know, the stories are bullshit. Right. Knight, knights are largely scumbags. Right. And this is sort of like a lesson that he imparts to Sansa over the uh, over this series, um, you know, like t- kind of opening her eyes to the truth um, of that. And it, it, things he says, plus obviously things sh- that uh, Sansa witnesses help her come to this conclusion. But um, there's the concept of a true knight, you know, someone who's chivalrous, someone who protects women and protects the small folk. And out of all the characters we've seen on this show... Um, I think Sir Gregor is more of a, tr- or sorry, Sir S- Sandor. <laughs> the it Hound. gets confusing. <laughs> yeah, I think he's really more of a true knight than many many characters we we come to know or see. Oh yeah, I've morphed is, to absolutely love him. He's one of those characters where you're just like, oh god, uh, this guy's really, you know, yeah, he's intense. I don't really like him, but then further on, you're like. Yeah, they. I really like what they do with this character, and that must be really cool for him as an actor to not that he all of a sudden becomes like super happy, but he, you know, <laughs> he gets to right really transition in his character to go from potentially hated or hated to uh, like all right, you know, you're cheering for him. Yeah, um, and that's uh, I've been predicting and watched it come true for about ten years now. The um, the rise of TV and the movement of like big movie stars over to the TV medium. Mm-hmm. Uh, something I've been predicting for a while as, as the technology has become cheaper and the production quality of TV shows has become higher. I've predicted that these big actors would want to, to have the opportunity of, to do exactly what we're talking about now to, <clears throat> to flesh out a character and have a real, like real character development over countless hours on screen um, totally. So he's really lucky to uh, be able to do that with this character, and to, yeah, it's so cool. Um, yeah, and we've you know we've seen that happen with a lot of Hollywood actors now are jumping over to TV, which is pretty pretty wild. Yeah, I mean it's 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 um, not to get too off subject, but I mean yeah the the film industry, which I still love, and I love I love a good movie. But I mean, between, you know, all the streaming content and even, you know, games being as cinematic as they are and and performance capture and all this stuff. Quick thing. I went and saw uh, uh, an evening with Andy Serkis last night here in L.A. Um, It was a BAFTA Presents type of thing. Now, Andy Serkis, of course, is Gollum. Uh, He was King Kong. Oh, cool. Caesar the ape. I mean, and and he's done a ton of on camera stuff as well as himself. But just hearing him uh, speak kind of what we're talking about, how, you know, it's nowadays it's really morphing uh, and with things like performance capture and online streaming and, and games and all this stuff. It's I mean, we're in a weird place where it's just moving quickly and it's changing and it's giving actors like. Uh, so much more of a range as opposed to just locking into like doing a movie or right you know it's so uh, cool yeah it was really rad but we can talk about that liner but um yeah uh he he's just one of these just real before i forget at the end of their sword fight when uh robert stands up oh, enough you know he cuts it off you yeah, know in the name of the king in the name I of the command king you to stop this madness <laughs> but then the hound just like boosh, drops to one knee right uh, sword in the ground and it was like right after sir gregor or whatever like had like swung but it was like this like totally like one of the most 
awesome choreographed um oh beautiful moves ever i was like damn it was during was the good. swing so he like kneels yeah. with the sword um into this pose and the mountain's blade just comes <laughs> right where his freaking neck was you know <laughs> i know it was amazing uh, but yeah. it was also like one of these not like whoo that was close it was almost like the hound just he's just so badass that he knew that that would you know there was no chance that that sword was gonna get him i don't yep. know it, yeah he's yeah. next level he's like oh the mountain's gonna swing from my fucking head because he's a son right. of a bitch kinslayer right. asshole yeah. so he ducks right. to below where his neck would be and knows he'll be safe <laughs> and yeah. that's yeah that's the other cool thing about that fight too is that the hound is mostly um defensive in that fight where like the mountain is going for his fucking head like he's trying to kill his brother here and the 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 hound is just sort of fending it off and not really being like offensively attacking where he could um so it's just interesting to see the different you know the, the different goals of these two brothers mountain doesn't give a fuck like he'll no. he'll kill his brother he'll be a kinslayer doesn't give a shit right basically and the hound is trying to be honorable um and does obey his king and whatnot um, in that moment. So it just gives you it's it's a cool. It gives us sort of an insight into the capability of the hound because nobody else on the fucking planet, aside from Oberyn Martell, <laughs> would essentially volunteer to jump in and fight the mountain. <laughs> you know, like right. Jamie Lannister probably wouldn't. <laughs> you know, no. I can't really think of anybody that would. So the hound is the man, basically. Um, yep. Really cool to see this play out. Just, uh, I love this freaking character. So yeah, that's my number four. Um, what about your number three, Millie? Well, let's see. Well, let's see. What do I talk about now? <laughs> I keep jumping <laughs> in on basically all the things that you're talking about. I'm like, oh, well, that's, well, that's one of them anyways. Because I was going to talk about the mountain and goddammit. Um, but you were talking, you were technically talking about uh, the hound, Sandor. So, oh, we you can, know. yeah, we can talk about whatever you want, Millie. Well, let's see. Um, da -da -da -da. Oh, <laughs> let's talk about the nudity. All right, let's do it. Um, let's do it. I, I had forgotten um, that these the first probably couple seasons, at least maybe even few, were so heavy in the in the nudity department. And it's not just the women; it's not just the boobs. Yeah, not this episode, at least. <laughs> no, we get to see junk. We got a full fledged dick. Yeah, there uh, there's some junk going on here, and it made me feel a little sad for. They on future. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm not trying to get too pervy here, but I was like, damn, that's that's a loss of a good cock. I'm gonna yeah. go ahead and say it. I went yeah, there. The ladies sadly. and men, whoever's into it, um, will probably agree with me on that. Um, yeah, I, it's, his cock is pretty famous, I think, right? It's known <laughs> oh God, throughout I don't the know, land. is it? Yeah. <laughs> Where have I been? When Ramsey has him captive, doesn't he say like he wants to see his famous cock? Oh right, right, right. Um, but no, I just, and, and then there was, you know, the, I don't know. I just, I, I'd forgotten how kind of gratuitous in the, in the nudity and sex and all that stuff. Uh, the first episodes were, I love um, it. and if that's too racy, you can edit that out. I don't know if kids are watching this. No, we <laughs> watching. It's totally fine. Um, if the, in my opinion, if the, if it's covered on the show, it's fair game here. <laughs> yeah, I know. You know? How dare she say that? <laughs> Wait a minute! You watch the show. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, I, I'm wondering though. It made me think though, just because. Uh, and I know again with the character development, we're kind of past the, the like, oh, we're all hanging out in our kingdoms and having sex with whores and blah 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 blah. You know, now everything's super intense and everybody's on the go and it's all about war. But there really isn't uh, nudity 
anymore. It's like nobody's getting laid anymore. Yeah, not much. <laughs> we got the occasional boat sex. The, uh, oh, yeah, that's know, right. <laughs> occasional boobs from the fire. Like when, right, <laughs> when Danny right, comes right. out of the Dosh right. Colleen. Yeah. Um, I mean, boobs. Um, boobs. Yeah, no, even like, uh, what was it, Tyrion after he, you know, you know, he kills... Uh, Shay? You know. Who does he kill? Oh, Tyrion. Wait. No, no, no. On this episode, Tyrion kills oh, like a kills random the, soldier. Oh, uh, he the tribesmen. Yeah. Right. And, uh, you know, uh, oh God, here goes me and my name thing. Help me out. Bronn. Bronn, thank you, says, uh, is that your first? And, he, you know, he's obviously kind of like shaken. And, he, you know, he really went to town killing uh, yeah. that dude. The shields, <laughs> too. The guy like... had a big spiked mace club thing and Tyrion comes and takes his legs out and bashes his yeah. face in with a shield repeatedly didn't yeah, even have a repeatedly. weapon and he killed the guy and he's a dwarf damn dude like right it was it was pretty brutal and beast then mode. was like is that your first you know he's like and then the first thing he says is basically like you need to go find yourself a woman and get laid right <laughs> and then he classically re- refers to a cat you know if she's willing so am i <laughs> right right it's hilarious so um, sex the sex and the nakedness is uh Alive and well in season one. I love it too, man. Like, yeah, it's yeah. I, I don't. I could, you know, I'm happy with some sex position any day of the week. Yeah, not gonna lie. I mean, about that's it. part of that's part of the 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 draw of um of the show and a lot of HBO shows. Depending on the show, not all of them are all about you know have that content, but uh, they have the freedom to put it in there, and it's realistic, you know. Yeah, you know. I I'd but, like to, and it's not like. <laughs> It's not like nothing's happening either during these scenes. Like Roz's tits are hanging out, Theon's dick is hanging out, but they're having an interesting conversation as well. Totally. You know, like yeah, we're learning are. about Theon's past, and and we're few, uh, we're set, getting more set up for Theon's betrayal as <laughs> Roz taunts him about being a ward and how he, you know, he's like <laughs> about how he's loyal to the Starks and whatnot, and sort of learn the mindset of 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 theon in this episode a little more and mm-hmm. it's he's interesting kind of a brat. he's like a Meh. yeah i know theon part of me was just like oh come on theon yeah oh, uh dude, totally you have no idea what's gonna fucking happen to you i don't want to pay for it <laughs> i know like you well, get yourself turd. a fucking wife then dude um yeah <laughs> you know? and uh even before that too we um when during the heraldry scene where uh, Bran is learning about sigils and recalling his knowledge of the house words and everything, he me- they mention the Greyjoys and Theon steps in and says, what, famous for their seafaring and lovemaking and <laughs> failed rebellions. But, uh, you know, so, um, yeah, he, he, he must be pretty known at this point for his, uh, his women, his exploits with women, uh, if he's bragging about how his family's famous for lovemaking. So right. that's sort of... Uh, falls it makes sense with how ramsey refers to his famous cock and whatnot and we had a listener who wrote in and said uh you know theon's dick r.i.p oh. <laughs> we'll get to that in the See? feedback later but it's hilarious I'm not alone no 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 like, yeah it's uh oh, well man. and it's not all about like the look of it or whatever it's also just like oh god the it's so painful to see it. someone totally equipped and to like oh god then it's totally disarmed he mutilated <laughs> yeah just mutilated Ugh. anyways so yeah. i just i just thought that a fun little side jaunt into the world of uh nudity definitely i love it all right my number three 
is the Tyrion Cat Liza storyline um, in this episode, which I thought was fun. We mm-hmm. get a, uh, a taste of how clever Cat can be right off the oh bat when they first meet up, uh, or when we first meet up with them as they're on the East Road. And Tyrion is sort of um, prodding her for information and he discovers through his clever questions that they're not on the road to Winterfell, that they're on the East Road heading for the Vale. And mm-hmm. damn, Tyrion is smart, man. Like, Cat was real smart, too. Um, loudly proclaiming that they're heading to Winterfell so that the word would get to to um, Tywin Lannister and he would send people to rescue Tyrion and they would go completely the wrong direction. Although, uh, may not have been the smartest thing to send potential Lannister troops to Winterfell to her unguarded uh, sons. <laughs> right. You know, when she's not there to protect them. But, you know, it was the heat of the moment, throwing the Lannisters off her trail, really slick, <laughs> and from that perspective, Tyrion, just mental giant, um, <laughs> being clever, asking about the shadow cats and the clan, the, the hill tribesmen, the hill clans, and um, discovering by her answer that that's the last thing to worry about, that they're not going in that direction north, that they're heading east to uh, to go to the, the Vale so ceaselessly impressed by Tyrion's mental um, agility and acrobatics and just these little games that everybody's playing. It's just really creative writing, you know, really, really, really well done stuff. And um, so they're, <laughs> Tyrion's trying to get her to untie him, which is funny. And they all of a sudden are attacked and we get to see Bronn in action for the first right. time, you know, right. which is just... a just a gift to the audience because this guy is amazing. <laughs> just cutting down people in every direction. Like, um, Arthur Dane is the best of all time. You know, according to various sources, Rickard Stark, we learn, uh, in this episode said that Barristan was the best that he had ever seen. So there's his opinion on, on that, which is, uh, interesting because, uh, Arthur Dane would have been around. Rickard would have seen him, but he said Barristan was the best. And Braun, man, like, I, I am hard pressed to imagine Braun ever losing a sword fight. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Yeah, he's he's uh, well, he's one of those characters. Yeah, there's definitely there's like you do not doubt that this guy is going to prevail in all battles. He's, his person, everything about him, his personality, his. Oh yeah. Yeah, he's badass. He's gifted. He yeah. is gifted. And I noticed, um, I mean, I know, I've noticed on a number of occasions, we got a pretty good view of it this episode. Uh, he's got a kukri, which is a neat, um, very heavy bladed sort of um, machete type thing where the you're, you hold the, uh, the handle and the blade goes forward and then cocks downward, like sort of the opposite way you'd expect a blade to point. And uh, I have a kukri that's almost identical to to Brands, so <clears throat> oh, wow. I was just looking at the details of it. Yeah, my friend brought it back from me from Nepal uh, wow. as a gift to me back in college. Cool, uh, really cool. Yeah, I love it. I just polished it up the other day. Uh, nice. Really, oh man, it's a hacking weapon though. Like, it's made for like crushing skulls, essentially. Right, right. Skulls. <laughs> you know, a lot of a lot of weight in that blade. Um, <clears throat> So that was cool. I noticed um, his his kukri, which he uses um, very recently. Even uh, the the loot train battle when he's fighting against one guy, he has it on his back and he whips it at the guy riding in his horse. Um, 
as they're sort of playing chicken. And um, in season two in King's Landing, he uh, during the battle, right before the Battle of the Blackwater, he's in a bar and singing with the Lannister troops, like singing the Reigns of Casimir or something, and the Hound walks in and sort of eyes him up, and there's tension between the two. And I think it's the scene where, um, you know, the Hound basically wants to fight Bronn. Like, you're a talker or whatever. Um, I don't like talkers. I don't remember how it goes. Or maybe that's the wrong scene. But but Bronn is facing off with the Hound in this really tense moment, and he reaches behind his back and puts his hand on his kukri. Like, he's about to whip that out at any second. And then it gets interrupted by the attack occurring at Blackwater, and they decide, instead of fighting, to just have a drink together, which I thought was really cool. It sort of set up a future potential friendship um, between the two. So maybe we'll get that season eight. I'm really hoping. Um, that would be an amazing duo. Imagine that. that. I would love to see that. Yeah. I, I hope season eight is able to... I don't even want to talk. I don't even want to talk about it. <laughs> yeah. The Hound and Braun back to back just fighting off dozens and dozens of undead. Like that'd be that so cool. That would be amazing. Well, in this episode, speaking of friendships and this uh, Braun and Tyrion kind of, because they had their thing going for a while too. They're yeah. Nice. They, uh, they banter well. They do. Um, yeah. yeah. And Tyrion definitely caught Braun's ear this episode again by saying, oh, you know, Word has surely gotten to my father by now, and he'll he'll be willing to pay a hefty ransom for me, you know. And you see, right. the camera cuts to Bronn, and he sort of perks up and starts yeah. paying attention because oh, oh. a Lannister always pays his debts, you know. And so that um, that plays into the scene in maybe the next episode when um, Bronn fights for Tyrion in the place of Jaime uh, in his trial by combat at the Vale. So we've all these little things leading up to that. Um, my first watch through, I I didn't realize that it was Bronn um, who had been with them the whole time, and then you know he he took gold from Tyrion to give up his room at the at the uh, the inn outside Winterfell. He hears Tyrion talking about the how Lannisters pay their debts now, and then when the time comes, he steps up to fight on behalf of Tyrion because he knows he's going to get paid big time, right. and he's got the skill to to pull it off, right? So little things setting up that that trial by combat um, a couple episodes from now or whenever that is. Just really, really good writing. Lots of little seeds being planted all over the place. And then we get to the veil and <laughs> Tyrion, you know, Cat. Tyrion had warned Lice, uh, warned Cat, like, when was the last time you saw your sister? Oh, mm-hmm. nine years ago? Well, she's always been a little touched. <laughs> but now, like, you might as well just kill me now because she's off her fucking rocker. Well, that's that's my. Where are we at? Um, this is my number three. Oh, you're still on your number three. Okay, because that's that's my number two. <laughs> okay, so just go yeah. right into it. Number okay. two. Uh, the veil and Lysa. Uh, holy shit, <laughs> she's so right? intense. Oh my god. Yeah, you're kind of just like whoa. Like, I mean, she yeah. is off her rocker. She's batshit cuckoo bananu. Cuckoo um, Bananunu. Cuckoo Bananu. Um, and what's the kid? Rob Robin? Sweet Robin. Robin. Sweet, sweet Robin. Uh, <laughs> still suckling at his mother's breast. And you know, whatever, if a woman wants a breast for your child until he's very, very much so. Uh, what is he? I don't know. Six, seven. He's he's a kid. But it yeah. just just the her with her craziness of it. It just seemed like this total like just almost like kind of like, oh, God. Um 
I don't know. I'm trying to think of the. It was just kind of creepy. So creepy. And Cat um, is looking at her like, "Oh my yeah, God, like, what has become what of you, sweet sister?" And Tyrion's look, look in Tyrion's face is priceless too. He's just like, uh. <laughs> "Like yeah. what is going on up here?" Yeah. Is that the bad man, Mummy? I'd like to see him fly. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you just might see that, dear boy, dear child, whatever. Yeah, I mean the, the whole the veil in general is just like, oh god. I mean, and and the setting, of course, just adds to that intensity of like, oh, this is not, this is not where I want to spend Christmas. You know, <laughs> it's like just kind, kind of, of fucked. fucked. Tyrion's, uh, I think there's a name for it. I remember reading in the book and I can't remember. There's an actual name for the cells that they. Um, or the sky cells. The sky cells. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, How crazy is that, man? But part of me was like, well, I don't know. You know, there's like dungeons where you're locked underground and you'd probably feel claustrophobic and panicked. At least here you'd be able to see outside. Oh, they're just tempting you to take your own life, though. <laughs> exactly. And the exactly. really scary part about the sky cells is that the floor is angled to tilt towards the uh, the abyss. Right. On the sky cells, some more angled than others, um, but you got to be real careful when you're falling asleep in a sky cell so you don't roll out. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, really, really crazy. Just the, the the architecture of this castle itself is. Incredible. Uh, did you take a good look at it when we first see it here? Did I take a good look at it? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's like, it's a mountain, but it seems to be like almost like a hollow mountain. Yeah. So there's like these spires of rock and a giant hollow cavity in the middle. And I'm just thinking like geologically, how does this, how does this form <laughs> geologically? And then, yeah, how do they build it? It's like Machu Picchu times a thousand where they somehow managed to um, bring all these monstrous stones up to the top of a mountain to build this structure. And in the books, it's even more, the like the, the journey to the top of the veil is even more harrowing. Right. Like you have special goats or uh, goat-like creatures <laughs> that you ride, like mountain goat sheep type things that are like super pro at walking up and down like the tiniest little rock steps um it's almost like intraversible on human feet and um it's just like a real ordeal to get from the bottom like multiple multiple hours to get up to the top of the veil um and if you can't if you're not physically able they will winch you up with a, a lift system that they have yeah, as well yeah i feel like someone in the book i feel like someone did take this the the winch system up. I think Tyrion may have. Yeah, it was someone. I remember reading about that and how, like, oh, God, yeah, it was kind of freaky. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's that Super whole sketchy. kingdom is, I mean, but, you know, what's the word that uh, Braun used or someone used and impreg- impregnable? Impregnable. 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 And he, of course, comes up with some awesome, clever thing to say about how. Right. <laughs> yeah, Tyrion goes, the eerie. They say it's impregnable, and Bronn goes, give me ten good men and some climbing spikes, I'll impregnate the bitch. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Which is great, because that's referenced again in season seven, as they're planning on taking Casterly Rock. Tyrion is, uh, they're, you know, it's the scene where they showed the uh, Grey Worm and the guys infiltrating through the little hole, the cave at the bottom of Casterly Rock and how Tyrion had built in a secret passage when he was doing the storm drains and stuff. Um, master of sewers for his father. 
And he says, a, a good friend of mine once told, you know, they say Casterly Rock is in, impregnable, but a good friend of mine once said, give me 10 good men and I'll impregnate the bitch. <laughs> <That's> and <crazy. laughs> Yeah, just a, a classic line. Um, it's it's clever. It's it's disgusting. It's amazing. Uh, yeah. Just, yeah uh, it, well, and, and just having Lysa be the, you know, current the bitch. ruler of it. It's just kind of... Um, I, I'm feeling super brain dead because I, I honestly and I don't know if I want you to tell me because I don't know if I want the spoiler alert because I'm going to watch ahead. But I cannot remember what fucking happens to her. Oh, really? No, I can't <laughs> I'm not remember. telling you. I mean, I know the little little precious prince is still around. Robin. Yeah, um, you can't remember. But, oh God. Give me a hint. Your sister. I've only loved one woman all my life. Your sister. Oh, was that was that little finger talking? Oh, my God. All right. I'll figure it out. <laughs> Amazing. You're going to love know. it. <laughs> yeah. I'm. That's... Does she go flying? Does mommy go flying? <laughs> does mommy fly? Well, I can't tell you now. All right. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of my series top five, though, so... Okay. All right. All right. It's beautiful. Well, I will. I'll I'll get on it. I mean, I'm feeling super inspired just because I, again, I've been so busy. I haven't been able to watch, but I'm, I'm going back. I'm going back to one and I'm going to see it through. And it'll probably take me so long that by the time I'm finished, that's about when season eight will be coming out. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, that's our plan. Basically. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) One a week for forever. 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 Oh, man. Anyways, that's all I had to say about that. Just the okay. veil. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> and uh, Lysa. It was beautiful. Everything about, you know, the veil is gorgeous and the, the it's just so twisted. Everybody like like her uh, suckling her babe still, <laughs> yes. even though he's no longer a babe and just super awkward. And everybody thinks it's weird, even Kat. So, yeah, I agree. All right. My numero dos is Arya and her little scene where she stumbles upon the skull of Balerion, mm. the Black mm. Dread. And uh, the skull seems to be angled slightly differently than it is in the current season. Like, it seems yeah. to be sitting differently. Um, it's, if it's, it's the same skull. It's close to that door. And what In the other one, it's a little shoved back more in the middle. Of, I don't know. I don't remember that. All right, so maybe it's not even the there. same skull. Um, yeah. Yeah. Either way, it's cool. Um, and it, it's interesting. The books, the skulls, the dragon bones are all black. And um, I'm giving you guys little little book details that aren't spoilers just to entice you to read. Because um, we got this big break in between seasons. You're going to love it. Just read them. And email me and I'll send you a free audiobook to get started. Sweet. Um, as long as you haven't received one from a friend already, um, Audible will let me give you one. But yeah, she, you know, she's chasing her kitty cats, learning to be uh, I was swift. chasing a cat. <laughs> <laughs> and that kind of like rolls his eyes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Great moment. Uh, chasing a cat. <laughs> and he does this like, ah, oh, like thing that yeah, he does of course, all of the time this were, season. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so she, she's hiding as she hears two voices approaching, having a very interesting conversation. Um... He's found one bastard already. He has the book. The rest will come. And when he knows the truth, what will he do? The gods alone know. The fools tried to kill his son, and what's worse, they botched it. The wolf and the lion will be at each other's throats. We will be at war soon, my friend. (laughs) What good is war now? We're not ready. 
If one can, if one hand can die, why not a second? This hand is not the other. We need time. Khal Drogo will not make his move until his son is born. You know how these savages are. Delay, you say. Move fast, I reply. This is no longer a game for two players. It never was inaudible. Uh, <laughs> wow. Yeah, so what, good. what the hell's going on here? What are these guys talking about? You know? <laughs> so they're talking, obviously. It's, it's Varys and Illyrio Mopatis. And for anybody who hasn't caught this, Illyrio Mopatis is the guy whose manse um, very, uh, Viserys and Daenerys were, have been staying at. So the first time we see Daenerys and Viserys, they're staying at a, uh, this fancy palace in Pentos. And this is this guy's house, this guy who's walking along talking That's to right. Varys here. Interesting. We, he's the guy who's whispering in Viserys' ear about how the common folks sow dragon banners and wait for you to come back. Um, they wait to fight for their rightful king. And, you know, Daenerys picks it up as big bullshit, which it is. Um, but what the hell is this guy doing over here? You know, this is some teleporting early on in the series that people may not have noticed immediately. Um, but yeah, they're they're talking about how their plan they have a plan they're they're in cahoots essentially to have called drogo ride a ride the wooden horses <laughs> across the narrow sea to take back the seven kingdoms various is is talking about how they need to move fast mapatis illyrio is talking about how they need more time it doesn't seem like they well, well we know they weren't involved with the murder of john aaron but it's it's hard to tell from this dialogue that they weren't it certainly leaves it up to speculation Arya misinterprets their comment um when she meets with her father after finding her way back into the city she tells him they were talking about killing him which is not not the case it's quite the opposite actually right um Illyrio says that one hand has died why can't another and Varys says you know this hand is not the other that could mean we don't want this hand to die because he's not He's not like the other guy. We want this guy to be around. It could mean that he won't be as easily killable, theoretically, I guess. So it could be interpreted as they want him to die. Um, but we don't really know what is going on at this point. So it's interesting to see Arya's reaction and to hear Varys talking candidly about his plan for once, um, since he's so slimy and you know secretive most of the time. They're... They know that King that Ned has found Robert's first bastard, Gendry. He has the book. He's going to figure it out. Um, it's just really interesting. What are your thoughts on this this conversation? Anything, any meaning sticking out to you or anything like that? Not really. And now I feel especially dumb because you pointed out that um, I, I was kind of actually thinking they were talking about Ned as well. <laughs> I was like, oh, shit. Oh, that's how like lost I was in that because I wasn't sure who they were, and maybe that's my lack of seeing episodes one, two, three, four. I don't think I I don't I doubt it. Um, it's the last place we saw Illyria was all the way across the sea. So even when right. we had first watched it, I I didn't realize that. Okay, it was him over there. I, I think this is a common thing that people have no fucking idea who this is. Uh, basically, <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, that scene was just, I was a little like, I was kind of like, wait, I don't know what's going on here. So I thought it was just... Yeah, caught up in the mystery of it. Like, oh man, this is crazy. Yeah. That's how I That's how I felt first watching it. I was like, shit, Arya is hearing some 
deep shit right now. Shit she's <laughs> not supposed to be hearing. Yeah. Or is she? Maybe she's supposed <clears throat> to be hearing and maybe it's good <laughs> she's hearing it, but then she, you know, took it, I guess, out of the correct context. Yeah, it's interesting, though. Um, you know, Ned is sort of dismissive of what she's saying right off the bat when she comes back in. You know, they're talking about killing you. And he's like, yeah, sure, whatever. And she's like, they said you found the bastard and that you have the book and something about a savage. And and he's like, oh, shit, this is a real conversation. Where were right. you? <laughs> you know, yeah. down in the, in the, in in the, the dungeons. Dungeon. Chasing cats. Chasing cats. <laughs> yeah, so just a cool scene. I liked... Um, Getting the uh, little taste that we know Varys is plotting to, uh, you know, a, a, a revolution, essentially. Right. Yeah, it's, there's a lot of implications for for what that means and, you know, what Varys' real motives are. Like, at this point, if he thinks that Viserys is going to be a good ruler, like, what's his real purpose? You know what I mean? So he's still so he's still alive, obviously. Yeah, they were Viserys? talking about that. Yeah. Yes, yes. Okay. Uh, next episode, episode six, is called A Golden Crown. Ah, the Golden Crown. <laughs> <laughs> Which men will tremble to Got behold. Got it. <laughs> okay, ouch, ouch. <laughs> <laughs> he was no dragon. This <laughs> just, a sh- just a shadow of a snake. Yeah. As Jorah puts it. That's a good one. God, I didn't realize that it got so only like, what, six episodes in, we're already at that point she's already pregnant yeah like whoa um yeah crazy yeah so that's my number two is just that whole scene there with the the conversation and um aria and balerion or whichever vagar whatever one of these huge ass dragons just so freaking cool man well then she somehow finds her way out of course and then she's at the gates and you know, yeah. they're like, go away, little boy. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so funny. I'm a girl. Do you know who <laughs> I am? Yeah. Do you need to smack you on the ear so you hear better? Right. Get out and of then, here. Yeah. And then she confronts him and they're like, oh, shit. Yeah. Probably my, look into this. <laughs> I'm Arya Stark. My father's a hand. And do I need to smack you on the ear? <laughs> so you hear better? <laughs> if my father finds out you turned me away, he'll have both your heads on spikes. Yeah. There's a lot of spikes on heads in this episode. There was a lot of that. There was a lot of those threats going around. Oh, hell yeah. Uh, so I guess, if, well, I'll just kind of, my number one's going to be kind of a, a hodgepodge of that. There was definitely the, you know, Ned saying, Fuck this! I'm out. Mm-hmm. Um, and quit. Screw you guys! I'm going home. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Pretty much. And then, of course, I'll have your head on a spike. You know, this whole uh, heads and spikes and spikes and heads. If there was a musical, there'd be a whole number around that. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> and oh, I'd man. love to see that. Hopefully, it'll get made. Um, yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, that's, you know, I, I, it's just in, interesting as in this episode, it went from jolly again uh, for me only seeing uh, episode five. Them, you know, having a kind of a good friend moment in the beginning to him, you know, to Ned being like cause when Robert was trying on his his armor and he's too fat and blah, blah, blah. And they're, you know, cutting it up and. Find uh, the breastplate stretcher. I know. I wonder how long it'll take him to yeah. <laughs> realize it doesn't it's exist, basically. So funny. That scene starts out with Robert just, like, insulting his squire's mom. Like, your mom was a whore. And <laughs> I am fat-ass whore or something, yeah. Yeah. 
Oh, brutal. Um, but yeah, no, I, uh, you know, so we're leaving it with Ned uh, quitting. And then, of course, Littlefinger's like, well, just hang around for at least evening. You know, too bad you're leaving. I'm like, in my head, I was like, just fucking go, Ned. Get your kids. <laughs> yeah. Get out. Get out. Well, if you're not go in too run. much of a rush, I'll take you to the last person who John Aaron met with before falling ill. I know. I was like, oh, God. I know I... I can't change what's going to happen, but it's kind of like, ugh. it's one of those frustrating moments in, in, in entertainment where you're just like uh, yelling at the screen. Just go. Yeah. It's a, it's that, this is that Godfather moment for, uh, for Ned where no matter how hard I try to get out, they keep pulling me back in. You know? <laughs> exactly. And they, they pull do. me back in. Head on a spike. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh. I, uh, so yeah. And then he ends up at the brothel, you know, little yeah. fingers brothel and then uh and we we see uh, another of robert's bastards yes we see another and the poor innocent mom please tell him how lovely she is and (laughs) jeez i feel so bad for this i haven't been with anybody since him he's always so nice and then this poor baby gets freaking murdered Mm -hmm. i know yeah that's brutal that's one of those moments where you're like should i be watching this yeah it's just Um, horrible and it, potentially at Joffrey's order. Uh, that's what we come to understand, right? Yeah, I think is so. I remember correctly. Sending people to murder the bastards. Yeah, I was kind of happy, just to you know, touch on all my points, that I didn't have any Joffrey in this episode. I'm not ready. I need to build up to Joffrey. That's something <laughs> i got to start from the get-go. Oh. Um, I'm kind of glad. There was little Cersei, and then, of course, Jamie, And then Jamie, he's another character, uh, kind of like the Hound, who's yes. really had a... Uh, just a total character, quite a ride in his character. Because he, in this episode, I was like, God, I forgot like how he's such a pompous little shit. He's, he's like, so awesome, though. I want my brother. You know, I mean, he's like, yeah, he's totally like, uh, he's totally amazing. Uh, to now we see him, he's just super like kind of chilled out, and like, oh shit, kind of resigned to almost being the good guy, if you will. Yeah. Kind oh, of. man. What a crazy so, scene that is. Yeah. Yeah, him coming out with, with all the... Jory I mean, says something about him threatening his lord, and he's like, oh, you don't want me to threaten him? Well, you know, what if I say that I'm going to cut your lord from balls to neck bone mm-hmm. just to see what a Stark looks like on the inside? And you know, yep. I'm like, damn, the way he moves his sword and shit. Like, he's a cool cat, man. He is a cool cat. <laughs> you don't want to fuck with Jamie Lannister. I was a little bummed that Jory had to go. I like Jory. That was horrible. Since you haven't watched the other previous episodes yet, there's a moment a couple episodes ago where Jory goes to deliver a message to the king from from Lord Stark, and the king's busy with a bunch of whores in his in his, in his uh, a bunch of whores in his bedroom. A bunch of whores. <laughs> yeah. And Jamie's outside on duty, and he's like, "How many do you think are in there?" And Jory's like, "I don't know, two, three. And Jamie says, "He likes to do this when I'm on duty. Insult my sister, um, you know, and." Jory mentions that they had actually fought side by side um, on one occasion. Jory oh. and and Jamie Lannister it was during uh. the Greyjoy Rebellion um, when <laughs> when they knocked down the the exterior wall of Pike and Thoros of Mir went running through with his flaming sword, which is discussed in season seven. And uh, Jamie and Jory were side by side, and Jory thought that Jamie was like amazing and whatnot and everything like that. And so it's just. It sucks that, especially after they, you know, Jory tried to connect with Jamie and talk about 
that and how they had this like this experience together and everything like that that Jory puts a fucking dagger through his head. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just yeah. makes that moment all the more tragic. Um, right. As, and Jory was like a, you know, he's Ned's right-hand man. He's like loved by all of Winterfell and all of everybody. Nobody seems to have anything negative to say about Jory, you know? So it's just a really sad moment all around. Yeah, I was I was not happy with that. I mean, I knew it was coming, but I was um, bummed. <laughs> so yeah. and that whole scene and then they write they, he gets stabbed see this is where I'm like okay I need to I need to watch this shit because he gets stabbed in the leg obviously but then they all take off so I'm like wait what happens next I can't believe how like I don't know if it's all the pot I smoked in the 90s I don't know what the hell I'm just like I have no fucking memory <laughs> that's of what good, happens though. next no it's, it's good because I get to still relive experience it. it again yeah yeah exactly <laughs> Yeah. The bonuses the of 90s uh, were rough. memory loss. <laughs> the 90s were rough. Quite possibly the 2000s too. I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'll just, uh, I'll just, uh, yeah. I won't add to the. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I we got you, bro. <laughs> so this is pretty interesting. We had another listener write in and mention the look on Jamie's face. When when Ned gets stabbed through the back of the leg by that spear, um, and he he kind of like looks up at the guy like, "What the fuck, man!" Like, and it's the same look that Ned gives um, Howland Reed when Ned is dueling Arthur Dane at the Tower of Joy in season seven or season six, uh, sorry. And Howland Reed stabs Arthur Dane through the back of the neck and saves Ned, and he has this this aghast look where like. <laughs> Honor has been besmirched. Um, the fight is no longer clean. You know what I mean? Right. Taken from behind um, in a dishonorable way. When there's, it's a one on one, and a, it's a one on one, and a second opponent comes in, and you know, sort of dirty, like does something dirty and changes the course of the fight. Um, so it's interesting the parallel here between Ned and Jamie. There's actually like a lot of parallels between Ned and Jamie. I think I've mentioned it on the previous podcast, but they're both sacrificed their honor in some way to to for the better good of somebody in Jamie in uh, in Ned's case for the good of Jon Snow, in Jamie's case for the good of the realm. Um, they're both living with like a, a nasty stain on their reputation, um, and, and there I don't know. There's just there's a lot of parallels between the two, so it's interesting to see it portrayed physically, where they both have similar reaction to a type of dishonor in a in a combat situation like this. So I just thought that was neat. Um, mad props to our listener who pointed that out because I wouldn't have noticed that otherwise. But we'll get to that in the uh, the comments as well. Ravens calls later on. Yeah. Um, what a what a fight though. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Jamie Lannister is just like glorious in all aspects of you know the, his fighting style and his his quick wit and just his confidence um he's a force to be reckoned with and ned is just you know jamie looks like he's nervous at a couple points fighting ned here mm -hmm. um, you know they ned is never made up in the in the books to be like especially like an amazing swordsman but he's talked up quite a bit on the tv show and even this episode Barrist and the Bold had said to him, you know, when it was um, the first scene of the episode where Ned arrives at the at the uh, the tourney ground and examines Sir Hugh's body, the guy who potentially may have poisoned um, Lord Aaron, John Aaron, the Hand of the King, and he's talking with Barristan and he's like, <clears throat> he's like, you know, I'm glad we never met on the field of combat, Sir Barristan. 
you know, <laughs> and and uh, Barristan, who's just a legendary fighter, um, fought his way through an entire entire castle just to to save um, the Mad King when he was captured at, at Duskendale. Like legendary dude, right. unparalleled. Like he and Arthur Dane are like the top best guys. And George R. R. Martin has says that in a contest between the two, Arthur Dane would win if he had Dawn, um, the sword. So apparently the sword makes a difference uh, for that. Otherwise, they're comparable uh, fighters. But Barristan responds to Ned and says to him, you know, don't be modest, uh, Lord Stark. You know, I've seen you cut down a dozen great knights. You know, So uh, it's just interesting. Ned had said when Jamie accosted him at Winterfell, you know, I don't fight in tournaments because I don't want a man to know what I can do when I fight for real, which is a solid strategic decision, I think, Um and he definitely takes Jamie off, you know, off guard here. Uh, his he's much better than Jamie expected, and is just as strong as Jamie. You can see there's a couple scenes where they're kind of pushing the blades against each other, right? And like a battle balancing of strength. Out. Yeah, balancing. Yeah, it's interesting how you do that. How that can happen with swords, leveraging the weapons to move in whatever direction you want and manipulate your opponent um, off balance and whatnot. And Jamie is definitely taken aback by by Ned. He wasn't expecting him to be as good as he was. So I, it's good before Ned dies that we do get to see him sort of unleash a bit. And I also seeing this scene again, I want to compliment the actor that played um, young Ned Stark at the tower of joy because man, their, their posture in sword stance is very similar. It was well studied, <laughs> well studied, well, very well studied. Like, I'm clapping for this guy who played young Ned Stark because he did an astounding job replicating uh, Ned Stark, in my opinion, down to the smallest details. Um, it's just really cool seeing this again and being able to make that comparison and everything like that. Uh, anything else you want to mention about this scene? No, I think that kind of covers it. Uh, I mean, again, it's just, you know, being my number one just leaves it for like, oh, shit. The next episodes are just going to get, uh, you know. We know what's coming. Yeah. So. Oh, one other thing to mention about this. Uh, we get to see sort of, um, I've mentioned before that Jamie is considered, you know, very talented fighter, but sort of a beautiful fool. Like he doesn't have the most strategic mind. He's He he jumped off the cliffs at Casterly Rock, 100 foot drops when he was, you know, like a little kid without even thinking twice about it. And we get a little taste of his um, lack of strategic capability in this point, uh, in this scene, because he's gets down off his horse and he wants to fucking fight Ned like right. right off the bat. He pulls out his sword and at that moment I'm like, oh shit, because it's intimidating as fuck. He looks like hardcore. Um, And Ned's like, oh, if you, Ned is not confident in this fight. And you can tell because he says, well, if you kill me, then Tyrion's dead. You know, your brother's fucking dead man if you kill me. And right. Jamie sort of realizes that he hadn't even considered it. Um, and he's like, you know what, you're right. Take him alive, but guys, you know. <laughs> um, so I thought that was interesting. We got a little taste of Jamie's sort of um, look or leap before you look type personality here. Right. Um, where he hadn't considered the, the consequences of any of this action that he's taking against Ned Stark at the moment. And it really propels things into a really bad place, uh, this whole confrontation. So, yeah, there you go. Jamie's lack of um, strategy working against, um, you know, everybody, really. It just sends everything into a spiral of chaos and horror. Dun, All right. Dun, dun. So, yeah. So my number one is uh, 
you mentioned it briefly, is Ned standing up to Robert in regards to the Daenerys assassination, mm-hmm. which I thought was really cool. And now, knowing what we know about John now, that he's actually a Targaryen, a legitimate Targaryen right. living in hiding, um, that watching Robert talk about killing Daenerys and looking at Ned and his face and everything... You can see that Ned is thinking this could be John that that Robert is talking about, like killing John, you know, a, a potential threat to the throne because of tar- he's a Targaryen just because of his name. And so it just, you know, Ned has given up everything to protect, to protect John, to keep him safe, keep his identity hidden, keep him away from Robert. And he's not going <laughs> to, he's not going to, it's not going to fly to let any other Targaryens die. Not only... Is it an innocent child? But it's his fucking, like, it's his nephew, essentially. Or right. his, his nephew and niece. Like, he is related to Daenerys Targaryen. I think that's something that's kind of glossed over when people talk about this, that, oh, like, of course he, you know, doesn't want child to be killed, and he could see it be uh, being John in, in the position of Daenerys. But he's actually related to Daenerys at this point. Like, this is his family that... Robert is talking about having assassinated um, his sister's husband's sister. So that would be his sister-in-law, essentially, right, at this point. So (laughs) That's a lot of family figuring right there. Right. So this is, yeah, Robert's talking about having his sister-in-law murdered. Mm -hmm. Um, And and I just just love it. He, you know, he makes a stand. Ned is a man of principle. And uh, this is some seriously like horrible Machiavellian shit that <laughs> that they're proposing. You know, he's he's not going along with it. And uh, Robert's like, "You're my counsel. Counsel this fool." You know, talking to Varys, and Varys is talking about how if you know, if if <laughs> there, this is a conversation based on ifs, if the 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 Dothraki warlord rides across the sea, then it could result in the deaths of thousands of people and houses and kingdoms and the seven kingdoms and could be horrible and all this. And this is some seriously Machiavellian shit. Like I was saying, like sacrificing a child, you know, for the theoretical benefit of thousands of people in the future, um, the ends justifying the horrible means um, there's just a lot of there's a lot of uh, interesting philosophical stuff going on here that they don't really articulate, but that people who are familiar with um, this type of stuff are analyzing as I am sort of watching this. And it's just really intense. And I'm, I'm glad that Ned stuck up for himself, didn't decided that the ends don't justify the means that one child is worth, you know, a kingdom, essentially. Um, and it's a, it's a concept that is, um, it comes up again when, um, when Gendry is being held captive at the, um, at Storm's End, I believe it is, or no, Dragonstone and Davos wants to free him and Melisandre wants to kill him so they can use his king's blood and, and Robert or no, not Robert, sorry, um, Stannis says to Davos, like, what's the life of one bastard in terms of the seven kingdoms? You know, and Davos responds, everything, which uh, is really powerful. And right. I think that I think that Davos and Ned would have been buddies um, to some extent. 
I definitely 100% agree that they, I think they would. Um, too bad we never got to see that. because <laughs> no, that got squashed pretty quick. In fact, yeah. in like at least <laughs> an episode or two. Yeah, like before we. Now. Yeah, before they never were even in existence on the series at the same time. Right. We don't see Davos until season two, I think, with uh, Stannis. And yeah, so they never existed uh, <laughs> simultaneously in terms of the what we see on the show. But yeah, I, I love how Ned takes a stand, refuses to go along with it. Mm-hmm. He says, uh, you know, I followed you into war twice without doubts, without second thoughts, but I will not follow you now. You know, the Robert I grew up with didn't tremble at the shadow of an unborn child. Like really putting it in perspective. Um, like Robert, you piece of shit. Like this yeah. is, <laughs> this is something that you would never, you fought, you fought against a king and now you are a king and you're worried about a little girl and a kid that's not even born yet. Like, right. come on, man. Like be a man about it. Um, you know, don't resort to killing children. Uh, <laughs> yeah. nev- it's never okay. Okay. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it's, it really isn't generally yeah. unless you're, you know, batshit psychopathic killer. Right. And look, to, look at how horribly um, the mountain is looked at for having killed Rhaegar's young child his young children um Rhaenys and Aegon you know mm-hmm. the mountain dashed Aegon's head against the wall and mm. whatnot like nobody likes that it's not cool even if they're theoretically a threat at some point in the future like you just don't fucking kill kids and um Ned is all about that like he he's all about the kids so that's cool uh I like uh I like Ned man so yeah I do he, too I do too yeah He's the man. You're the king's hand, Lord Stark. You'll do as I command, or I'll find me a hand who will. Then good luck <laughs> Go to him. find him. Yeah, good luck to him. I thought you were a better man. Drops his hand on the fucking table, and he's out. It's so badass. So good. So badass. And Robert's just left there to rage, because he knows he's in the wrong. He's just blustering about it. And he, when he, you know, when he's on his deathbed, he admits it. You know, he he says, you know, Ned, you were right. You were the only one that stood up to me about Daenerys. If it's t- not too late, stop it, you know. And he, Ned tries, but the word has already been sent. Uh, Varys says those birds have flown. So uh, Ned's doing the right thing, and <laughs> only when Robert is dying does he finally admit to uh, being wrong in this. I was wrong. <laughs> yeah, but at least he does admit it, you know? Right, exactly, right? exactly. So that's good, and uh, they sort of become friends again and everything. And Yeah, and interestingly, yeah, we'll talk about that when it happens, but that's Ned's one moment of, like, true dishonor almost when he changes Robert's wording of his will, of his, you know, his last will and testament of... What happens after he dies, he changes my son to my rightful heir to preclude or exclude Joffrey from being um, considered as the heir because he's not his, not his rightful heir. He's a bastard. He's not even his son. Right. But yeah, that's pretty interesting. That's my, uh, my number one. It's Ned a good number one. Saying, fuck you, man. Yeah. We, we don't kill baby dragons. You know? Nope. We don't. We don't. <laughs> we don't. Yeah, yeah. We don't, yeah. Uh, anything else you want to add about that? I don't think so. Yeah, no, it was just it was just fun in general. I had a good time <laughs> jumping basically midway into season um, one. Yeah, midway. Uh, and uh, and seeing how everybody's so young and fresh, and the kids are actually kids, and you know, um, it was just uh, it was it was fun, and it 
it inspired me that I need to get on it. Great. Rewatch. All right. Kick ass. Okay, so with that, we will take a little break, and uh, there's more to come, so stay with us. Alright, we are back with news about Game of Thrones. Our first item comes to us from the AV Club. Kit Harrington will delay the Game of Thrones filming so the cast can both go to the wedding. Aww. Or so the cast can go to the wedding. Last month we reported that Game of Thrones Kit Harrington and Rose Leslie had gotten engaged, finally giving Jon Snow and Egret the happy ending they deserved before they both got killed. <laughs> Though one of them did eventually get better. Yeah, I was gonna say, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course, if you and your betrothed met on the set of Game of Thrones, you simply have to invite the entire cast of the show to your wedding, which is exactly what Harrington and Leslie are doing. Unfortunately, their wedding is going to happen in the middle of filming for sh- the show's uh, final season, so Harrington had to ask the producers if they'd be willing to pause the whole production for a bit. Oh my god. How crazy is that, man? That is They couldn't wild. just wait. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> but no, I mean, come on, he's Jon Snow. The show will like not go waiting. on without him. <laughs> <laughs> Winterfell can wait. <laughs> yeah, Winterfell can wait. My uh, wedding cannot... So Harrington told this story on the UK's Jonathan Ross show over the weekend. um, Jonathan Ross. I think um, I think I watched a a clip from the Jonathan Ross show where he talked about pulling a prank on on his on uh, Rose as well, where he had his decapitated head in the fridge and scared the hell out of her. Hilarious. Uh, And she threatened to cancel the wedding because of that. Um, (laughs) So. uh, it turns out that the producers were surprisingly okay with this request of postponing the filming. We don't know who he specifically talked to, but the producer in question is apparently so stressed about the final season that Harrington says he's reached the peaceful level. It doesn't sound like there are any plans to film the wedding and air it on HBO for hardcore Game of Thrones fans, but hopefully somebody will release some fun photos at least. Nice. So good, good for you guys. Congratulations, yes. guys. And I'm sure hearts are just, you know... Breaking everywhere. Breaking everywhere, yeah. <laughs> Our next article is from Bustle. Where will the Game of Thrones spinoffs take place? The new series could break new ground. You may know by now that as many as five potential Game of Thrones spinoffs are in development over at HBO. The only known information about the stories is that they are prequels. They will center on events from Game of Thrones history that fans will recognize and that they will not feature any characters that we have seen before. So, where will the Game of Thrones spin-offs take place? That's probably the easiest question to start with, yet George R. R. Martin's fictional universe is so big that there are a ton of possible answers. All the best books have maps in them, and Game of Thrones is no exception. At least one of the five has got to take place outside of King's Landing, right? Actually, if we go back far enough in Game of Thrones history, the map won't look anything like what fans are used to on the original series. What if the series takes place outside of Westeros entirely, or before the wall was built? Still, it doesn't hurt to start guessing, and setting a, uh, and a setting mix-up will certainly make the opening credits, credits exciting. Based on the potential plot lines, here are some locations that might be revisited in one of the spin-offs. Dorne. The land presided over by House Martell seemed to draw the short straw on Game of Thrones. They entered the story too soon and left too late. A spin-off may be a good way to expand on that world. Essos. Wouldn't it be cool to see an entire series set in Bravos or Karth? 
Mm-mm. Game of Thrones fans only saw the other side of the narrow sea from the eyes of Westerosi born out Westerosi born outsiders like Daenerys, Arya, and Tyrion. It would be cool to see um, from a different perspective. Valyria, remember when Tyrion and Jorah Mormont sailed through those ruins almost to the latter's doom? Um, well, yeah, almost to both of their doom because yeah, right? Tyrion almost got, he got, he sunk like Jamie there and was barely saved and revived by Jorah. Um, that haunted Island could be the setting for one of the shows. Westeros uncharted. <laughs> That'd be cool. I would love to see the Valyrian architecture and stuff. That'd be a lot of money though. So I imagine they're not going to do that. I, all of these would probably be a lot of money. Yeah, but that one probably <laughs> most and more. You're right. Yeah, yeah. I think that would be the most expensive. Just recreating this interesting, unique Valyrian architecture and stuff. Um, if the series is about Aegon's conquest of the Seven Kingdoms, then the spinoff could cover a familiar landscape, just without those all those familiar landmarks. But we would we would still have a lot of those because many of the famous castles and stuff were built before the conquest. Um, so a lot of it would still be pretty similar. Winterfell's been there for like thousands of years, whatnot. The Red Keep and King's Landing didn't exist. Um, but you know, Dragonstone was there. The Erie was there. Most places were there. Pike. Um, so it'd be pretty familiar. The Iron Islands is another option. Speaking of Pike, a lot of the interesting Greyjoy stories that remain unexplored on the HBO series unfortunately involve characters that we already know and love, which rules out a lot of spinoff potential. Mm -hmm. That said, don't don't you want to learn more about the Seaside family, (laughs) the Greyjoys? After all, what is dead may never die. The Crownlands is another option. We've seen King's Landing before, but not so much of the surrounding area. If the spinoff took on the story of House Blackfire, ooh, a now extinct family who who rebelled against the Targaryens on numerous occasion, occasions. I should point out it's a Targaryen offshoot family founded by the bastards of the uh, of Aegon the 4th, the unworthy. If the spin-off took on the story of House Blackfire, the setting would be not too different from Game of Thrones. There just maybe wouldn't be as many road trips. <laughs> road trip. Road trip. Way, way north. If the spinoff is about the war between the children of the forest and the first men, don't expect to see anything south of Hardhome for a while. <laughs> a spinoff about the original White Walker invasion known as the Long Night would have had a similar setting. Although I think that the war between the children of the forest and the first men sort of took place all over the Seven Kingdoms and that they sort of just ended up, the children of the forest sort of like banished up beyond the wall. Kind of. So that could, uh, we could see all of Westeros for that spinoff, I'm pretty sure. That'd be cool. Yeah. Sothorios and Ulthos, two places that show watchers would have no idea exist, and even book watchers would have no idea exist, because I don't think Sothorios is ever mentioned on the, uh, like in the books, even. It's just on the map. It's like the Antarctica type uh thing for westeros right ultho ulthos i don't even know what that is on the flip side digital spy suggests that a series could take place on a third or fourth continent entirely forget about westeros and essos though they haven't been mentioned on the current hbo series ulthos is supposed to be wooded and southeast of where our heroes live Sotheryos, Sotheryos is, um, as one might expect, also to the south. Depending on how many of these perspective spin-offs are filmed and then picked up to series, we could be seeing all these locations in the future of the Thrones universe and more. 
So that's exciting. A lot of possibilities there. My God, so many. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait to see what happens, really. Um, I'm super down for any 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 <laughs> offshoot series, as I'm sure everybody is we'll, well aware. We'll be fiending, are you kidding? Everybody yeah. will be fiending. Super, super fiending. Um, yeah, I'm like about ready to infiltrate HBO right now just to find out what the the uh, <laughs> the the prospective series would be. Mm-hmm. So curious. The fifth series um, that is under production, interestingly, is being co-developed by Brian Cogman, who's one of the great um, Game of Thrones directors. I think he directed um, the battle at at um, Castle Black and a number of other. Uh, really popular episodes and Gurm himself, George R. R. Martin is working on this one spinoff. So it wouldn't surprise me if we ended up with more than one spinoff, which would be awesome. It'd end up being like Stargate, which is my all time favorite TV franchise. Oh, um, interesting. Yeah. I mean, I love game of Thrones. It's the best TV show, but when you compare game of Thrones with Stargate, there's like three complete series of Stargate, right? You know, with like 18 seasons total or something like that. So kind of hard to fight against that. Really good show if you guys haven't seen it. SG-1, Atlantis, etc. Our next article is by Blasting News, Blasting News US. Um, Game of Thrones Season 8. Is Tyrion the prince who has promised? Theories about Tyrion Lannister, Peter Dinklage, his real identity, are now swirling again. After he surprisingly surpassed freeing Daenerys, um, Amelia Clark, dragons, Rhaegal, and Viserion from the dungeon without being eaten, a lot of Game of Thrones theorists assumed that the imp is also a Targaryen. In George R.R. R. Martin's Song of Ice and Fire novels, which the show is based on, Daenerys is set to find two more Targaryens to emulate the three-headed dragon of their house sigils. Now that Jon Snow, Kit Harington, is confirmed to be a Targaryen, will Tyrion complete the three-headed dragon? Danny's Danny's vision of the three-headed dragon. According to IGN in the Song of in the quote A Song of Ice and Fire novel, Daenerys originally wants to imitate the victory of her ancestors, Aegon the First Targaryen and his sister wives Visenya and Rhaenys Targaryen. Aside from depicting their three-headed dragon sigil, they too can ride each of their th- three dragons. Danny also had a vision of Rhaegar saying the dragon has three heads, which has not been seen in the book's TV adaptation, Game of Thrones. Instead, yeah, it's when uh, she's in the house of the undying and Karth. She's walking. I read a passage in Still Smug a couple few weeks ago. She's walking along and sees an open door and and um, Rhaegar is standing there next to a woman holding a newborn baby. And she asks if he has a name and he says, Aegon Targaryen, you know, the one true, like the best name for a king. And um, she asks if, because he's sitting there next to his harp, it's uh, it's it's um, the uh, the Red Viper's sister, Elia Martell. She asks, "Are you? Will you write him a song?" And he says, "He has a song, and uh, it is the Song of Ice and Fire." Oh. Interestingly, so yeah. he he may have been wrong about that because that little baby Aegon is supposedly dead. Um, you know, by the mountain, like we mentioned. So maybe he was, uh, he jumped the gun a little bit and was really referring to Jon Snow. Um, hmm. Yeah, pretty interesting. So instead, on the TV show, she saw her dead husband called Drogo and their deceased son, Rago, at the end of the television show's second season. 
With that, there might be a possibility that Tyrion could end up as a Targaryen in the novel series and not in the television program. As George R. R. Martin is not yet done writing the book's sixth installment, The Winds of Winter, the show's seventh and eighth seasons are now handled by its executive producers, D.B. Weiss and David Benioff. Also, it might not be possible that the showrunners can successfully adapt everything from the novel series uh, to the television. Well, yet it's not possible. We <laughs> There's so much stuff that's not even included. I know, right? Yeah. The Prince That Was Promised. Aside from Daenerys' vision, Song of Ice and Fire also featured Tyrion designing a special saddle fit for Bran Stark's situation. He even received prophetic works from the Red Priest overseas. But as the television show didn't tackle everything in the book and Game of Thrones, season eight only has six episodes. D.B. Weiss and David Benioff should think of a great twist to reveal that Tyrion is actually Danny's half-brother. So in my opinion, since the um, since Viserion has been killed and turned into a white dragon at this point, I think that symbolically um, symbolizes the death of the Tyrion-Targaryen plotline on the TV show. I don't, so I don't think that they're going to do it because he won't even have a dragon to ride at this point. Um, with that, the article says the queen's hand uh, could be could be potentially the prince who was promised. Could he possibly be Azor High? The show's start of production. In other news, Liam Cunningham, who plays the role of D- Davos Seaworth, recently confirmed that Game of Thrones season eight will officially start its production on October 9th, which is a couple days ago. Yeah. At this point. So the uh, yeah, sorry, podcast got delayed a couple days. I was super sick. I would have sounded like this the other day talking. <laughs> Everybody would have unsubscribed. Um, <laughs> so um, the TV show's cast members will once again be reunited for a table read that will start on Sunday, October 9th until Monday, October 10th. Then we start rehearsals, then we start shooting, he said at New York Comic Con. Damn, I was at New York Comic Con and I missed Sir Davos Seaworth. Oh, man. Brutal. Well, I guess that's what I get for not even paying attention to what was happening at Comic-Con, like looking into anything. (laughs) I just sort of walked around and went to the X-Files panel. That was cool, though. Nice. Okay, our next article is also from Bustle. Where was Lyanna Mormont in Game of Thrones Season 7? The show needs to bring her back ASAP. With this season wrapped, every fan should be wondering where Lyanna Mormont was during Game of Thrones Season 7. Even with all the action at Winterfell over 2017's seven episodes, we barely caught sight of the Bear Queen. Lyanna appeared in Dragonstone and Stormborn, but they gave mere glimpses of her character. After allowing fans to fall in love with the steely-eyed feminist during season six, the creators ripped her away from them in, in the pen- penultimate season. It's hard not to, uh, to see that as a mistake. There's no shortage of strong female characters in Game of Thrones, of course, but Lyanna Mormont brings something unique to the table. Women like Cersei Lannister, Arya Stark, and Daenerys Targaryen are unquestionably strong, but they're devious as well. They're complicated, layered characters, but they verge into, into some very troubling territory on occasion. Spend enough time with a character, and you'll be privy to all of her flaws. But in the case of Lyanna Mormont, fans either haven't had that chance, or she is honorable through and through. Since other... Since either option involves spending more time with the fearsome young warrior to find out, adding the Bear Queen to storylines is a win-win scenario. At the moment, she feels like a young Brienne of Tarth, an incorruptible force for good, who thinks and acts for herself. She refuses to be cowed by older male voices or do to do what's expected, which makes her a beacon of feminism, shining out of the center of the story. So with such a strong, compelling character waiting in the wings, it feels like a waste not to use her. 
After all, this is the girl whose resolve serves as a gut check, even to the Starks themselves. If a little girl is in charge of the armies of Bear Island, doesn't who's in charge of the armies doesn't flinch in the face of danger, in danger. <laughs> how can danger? Danger, Will Robinson. How can grown men and women who sit beside her justify their own trepidation? How can the Starks themselves? When Jon Snow was able to convince her to declare House Mormont for the Starks, it was a turning point in that storyline, and the other northern lords soon followed suit. When Arya was attempting to shame Sansa for the message she wrote under duress, she name-dropped Lady Mormont to discourage her sister from claiming childish, childish ignorance. And you know what? It worked. So even if the mention of a character is strong enough to alter the show's plot and jolt her peers into thinking clearly, think how effective it would be to work the pint-sized ruler more fully into the plot. She could have easily been more of a presence at Winterfell during the discussions between Jon Snow and the rest of the Northern Lords. During the tangled, unnecessary confusion between Sansa and Arya, Lyanna could have served as a voice of reason. She's one of the most rational minds in the series, so any number of characters could have gone to the young queen for advice. She's not a queen, though. She's just a lady. She's just um, a lady. Yeah. In fact, if Sansa and Arya had sought her counsel earlier, we could have saved our ourselves multiple episodes worth of petty posturing between the two sisters, <laughs> although it would have made Littlefinger's ultimate demise much less surprising. This was a season where almost no one was operating at the top of their intelligence. Cersei failed to kill Tyrion when she knew he was entering King's Landing. A force of Westerosi set out to try to capture a white in a plan so foolish that it resulted in the death of one of Daenerys' three dragons. The maesters refused to believe in the White Walkers. A calm, collected voice of reason to break through all of that would have been incredibly refreshing. And that's what Lyanna represents. At the end of the day, Lyanna Mormont is a badass, empowered girl who turns in kick-ass performances every time she graces the screen. Let's give her more opportunities in season eight. I second that notion. How I about you, Millie? I third it. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. That's what That'd I be thought. Great. I love Lady Lyanna. Triple L, Little Lady Liana. She's awesome. All right, now it's time for Raven's Calls. <laughs> that, was, that was my tamed down Raven. That was a good that one. That Raven was chilling. We are back for Raven's Calls. Um, you want to uh, start off, Melly? Sure. Oh, yeah, I'll give you a break. That was a lot of reading. That was a lot of copy you had to read. <laughs> um, this is from Laura Sotelo. Uh, it's actually probably just Sotelo. Yeah, anyways, I, I made that a little too Italian. Um, <laughs> Sotelo. Sotelo. There's not a double L. Anyways. Ha 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 ha. Good old brawn. Nothing like a woman after a good fight. Such a bittersweet episode. Ned was almost out of there. Damn you, Littlefinger. Damn you. That's what I said, Laura. <laughs> and to think he's the one responsible for so much. Ned and Jamie, that sword fight, though. Such humble beginning for the series. Wendy Ott Eppers says, I love this honest exchange between Robert and Cersei. Robert admits he never felt anything for Cersei. Could this have been Cersei? Why Cersei decided to help the boar? I think it may have been Wendy. I do, Good too. Call. I think he had a chance to just, like, fucking fake it till you make it. And he was like, I haven't had shit feelings for you ever. I was like, ugh. Anyways. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. Um, this is Luke Pilling or Piling. I don't want to screw that up. Uh, Luke really, the Low Duke. Luke Wahoo. The Low Duke. The Low Duke. Luke the Low yeah. Duke. 
Really enjoying rewatching the series again, taking the time to notice things like the odd. I said the audition, the audition of the veil, (laughs) taking the time to notice things like the addition of the veil to this title sequence is really nice for this episode in particular. The conversations we overhear from Arya's perspective between Varys and Illyrio 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 is probably the one (laughs) that Illyrio Illyrio (laughs) (laughs) is probably the one that hit the hardest this time round where it didn't register nearly nearly so much me first time well that was like me watching it the second time anyways also really enjoyed the conversation between Robert and Cersei you can really see why both characters are the way they are it's mentioned a few times it's it's mentioned a few times this series in the series that Cersei did did actually like Robert at the start. Makes you wonder how differently she would be now, seventeen <laughs> years later, if Robert had just returned the affection. Yeah, Seriously, right. He only he only had eyes. Anyways. Yeah, it may have been hopeless after he said Liana. I know. In bed after their wedding night. <laughs> God. Oh man. Yeah, Jody Wadward, could you explain the uh, Varys and Illyrio conversation? Having watched the episode again, I still don't understand the importance of it. Also, love the podcast and rewatching the season again. Yay. So we talked about it a little before, but I think they're just talking about how things are moving too fast for their plan. They're, they're planning on using Khal Drogo and that whole army to retake the Seven Kingdoms and install a Targaryen again as king. But things are falling apart so quickly over here at, at in the Seven Kingdoms with Ned figuring out what's going on and war about to break out between the lion and the wolf. The you know the these big houses that various is uh, you know Illyrio saying we need more time to to you know gather our army in the east and various is saying hurry up like shit is hitting the fan here. So I think that's basically the uh, what it boils down to there. They're they're they have a plan and things are happening too quickly over here, so they're trying to get their shit together <laughs> as as well as possible, I think. Um, and we have a, a response from Luke, the low duke. It is clear that Varys and Illyrio are concerned there will be a war between the Starks and Lannisters, and Illyrio remarks, "What good is war now? We're not ready. We need time. Khal Drogo will not make his move before his son is born, implying that they want this to happen." I can't remember how explicitly Illyrio's role is explained on the show, but Varys and he have been planning for a Targaryen to sit on the throne again and unite the Seven Kingdoms for some time. Um, Now, end of season seven, it makes sense for Varys to be supporting of Daenerys. Sir Duncan, do you see it this way? I do. I do. I think I agree uh, fully. Mr. Uh, Low Duke of Devonshire, if if I'm remembering that correctly. All right, Melly, your turn. All right, this is from May or my. It's May. Mrs. May. Almari Almardini. Almardini. I'm getting all the Italian last names, even though it's probably not Italian. <laughs> I'm just making it up. Ignore me. Anyways, love the interaction between Varys and Littlefinger. I like that you never knew where Varys stood, but he was always on the good side. Yeah. That's what I said too. A Targaryen at the head of a Dothraki army. Even Robert, who is a fool, could foresee this as a this is a problem. Interesting that they only worry about their male heirs. I know, right? He predicted yeah. what would happen when the Dothraki cross. Too bad Cersei is too stubborn to listen. That interaction was everything. Lyanna's ghost 
would come back to haunt them both. And Robert gives Cersei the justification justification she needed for what she's done and is about to do. Damn, everybody's picking up on it this time. Awesome. Um, and then the next word is literally damn. Damn, oh, yeah. LF. It's like you were psychic. Uh, damn, LF. <laughs> Ned almost gets away if it wasn't for him. Littlefinger. Everybody was just damn and Littlefinger left and right. Literally <laughs> yeah. one of those. Ah, oh, fuck. Just go, Ned. Ned versus Jamie. <laughs> Wonder who would have won. I know, right? We never get to find out. We don't. Cat can see her sister is cray cray. I think she realizes <laughs> she made a, hu- a huge mistake. A huge mistake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she is totally cray cray. She's out of her mind. <laughs> Adam Hutchinson says, hey. bow your shits. <laughs> and this episode made me miss the Robert Ned dynamic. Mm-hmm. I agree, Adam. I do too. I do too. So fun. Especially the beginning of the episode when it was still, you know, light. Or yeah. light-ish, light-esque. <laughs> yeah. Laurie Himselkane. Oh, and of course, this would be the appropriate one for me to read. Uh, Theon's <laughs> junk. R.I.P. R.I.P. Indeed, Laurie. Ugh. Yeah, sadly, it probably rests in pieces. Oh, Yeah, sorry. it rests in, yeah. <laughs> we have an email from Lady Caroline of House Collins. Hi, Duncan, Jason, and all. I made the mistake of taking notes on this one, and Duncan knows I'm long-winded, so feel free to use any of this or none, if time doesn't allow. I still can't believe you read my whole email on the Still Smug episode. You guys are the best. Here's my top five for your perusal. Screw it. We'll just read the whole thing. Five, tourney scene. I love Loras' victory over the mountain and the proof that outsmarting Gregor Clegane works and may work in in the future. I think so. I think it will. The Marin heat clearly symbolizes the intelligence of the female side of House Martell. Oh, that's a good observation. <laughs> Mini Clegane Bull ensues as Sandor comes to Loras's rescue. The Hound looks so uncomfortable playing the hero. Friendly jokes that he'll buy Littlefinger a friend. Um, we know how he's pretty much a sociopath, so maybe Renly knows more than he lets on. You want to read number four? We can alternate between... Uh, sure. Carolyn's top five. Number four, cool one-on-ones. Littlefinger and Varys, very memorable scene, even though originally I had no idea what the point was. The last time you saw me or the last time I saw you, it feels <laughs> it feels a little high school stalker without any context. <laughs> yeah. Great. The second time around, again, it's like, oh, yeah, okay, God. Um, so much <laughs> more comfortable now I know what the heck is going on. Rob and Ned when Rob's too fat for his armor. Ned and Sir <laughs> Barristan sell me. Probably the last time they get to talk one-on-one. They clearly mm. wish they could have fought together or even against each other. They also mention Rickard Stark again. Mm-hmm. Rob and Cersei. What harm could Lyanna Stark's ghost do to either of us? Her ghost tells Bran who John really is, and her son may just kill you in the wars to come. Oh, I snap. know, right? These wow. Are, wow, you put your you put your thunkin' cap on. Yeah, really. Um, Rob also says, "What's bigger, five or one?" Could be definitely could be foreshadowing for the War of Five Kings. Oh, great, great pick. Definitely, up, man. wow. I know, definitely hinting that the kingdoms are dividing already. 
Ned and Varys knowing now how John Aaron died makes you see the whole Squire thing in a new way. We know the Squire wasn't wasn't responsible, but maybe he knew something. Yep. Number three, the small council meeting where you see Ned's fear come true, which validates his decision to keep John a secret. I can now read in his face that this could have been John that Rob was plot- plotting to kill. It's painful to watch. The first time I saw this, I obviously didn't want him to kill Daenerys because I liked her, but I still saw Robert as a good guy. This perspective shows him in a much muddier and darker light. Mm-hmm. Number two, the list of people that know more than Ned. Arya already knows that his life is in danger. She voices her concern to Jordy. Jordy? Is it Jordy Jory. or Jory? Yeah, think, Jory. Yeah, yeah. Although I like Jordy from a yeah, different Jordy. show. <laughs> <laughs> One of my faves. Um, Tyrion tells Kat that Lysa has changed. I don't think it crossed Ned's mind that Lysa could be the one who killed John Aaron. Tyrion clearly has a better handle on what Kat's sister has become. Rob Definitely. talks to Cersei about all the backstabbing in King's Landing. He knows he's leading the wolf to the slaughter. Ned talks to Littlefinger in the brothel before he's apprehended, and so and it's so clear Littlefinger knows exactly what happened to John Aaron. Only two people know less than Ned. Renly and Loras are such idiots. Love the chest shaving scene, but oh my god, are they dumb. It was a really good dialogue between <laughs> them, though. I thought that was actually a really nice scene. Um, it was well written. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. And agree. the chest and the shaving. And then he stopped. I noticed, this is just me nitpicking, but there was a bunch of hair still around the nipple. And he did right. like one last shave and, the, and then he wipes the chest off. I mean, no, 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 no. There would have still been hair around. The I noticed nipple. that, too. Then okay. they cut to the next scene and he's like totally clean. Yeah. Shaven. All right. OK. Or the next shot. Glad yeah. I'm not alone. <laughs> <laughs> one echoes from season one to season seven. Jamie and Ned's sword fight reminds me of Bran's flashback from the Tower of Joy. Jamie's face shows the same letdown when his kinsman gets Ned in the back of the leg as Ned does when Howland Reed stabs Sir Arthur Dane in the back. I don't think Jamie got saved in the same way, but it cuts short um, a knightly fight to the death. I imagine both men would choose to die that way, and possibly um, it's the only time they'll feel truly alive. Definitely more aware of Jamie and Ned's similarities this time around. Mm. Arya with the castle guard at the Red Keep versus Arya with the Winterfell guards in season seven. I think the lines might even be the same. I love that she says one of them was fat too when Ned asks who they were. <laughs> so funny. We I think see one various. Of them was fat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that wasn't with the guards though. That was the uh, the the people. Uh, that was Ned and Illyrio. She's referring to. Or, sorry, Ned. Varys and Illyrio. She's referring to Varys at that point. Oh right, 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 right. We see Varys masterminding the plot to kill Daenerys when the mother of dragons threatens to burn him alive for this very plan. That's so funny. Um, yeah, remember that. She's all pissed that he participated in planning to kill her. Oh, <laughs> so we yeah. actually see that sort of happening, this this uh, part of the series. Um, <laughs> I feel like watching it this time, I actually know what is going on, and it's so much more enjoyable <laughs> watching Littlefinger and Varys and knowing what their ultimate M.O.s are. In Rob and Cersei's scene, they start talking about the fight, the Dothraki, and Rob sa- actually says, only a fool would meet the Dothraki in an open field. Yeah, Jamie did that this season. <laughs> Beautiful fool. 
Loving the rewatch. I did it before last season too, but it's great to do it while following along with the podcast. Keep up the good work. Nice. Carolyn That's... Collins. Caroline, Thanks, that was Caroline. a lot of really good. Really good stuff. Really, yeah. yeah. I don't mind reading awesome long emails at all. I kind of wish that um, I could beam myself into your homes. <laughs> That's so pervy. I wish I could beam <laughs> myself into your homes and just stare I at you. Do. <laughs> no, and like watch the show. Like if I could watch the show with you or Caroline, and then I yeah, it's it's oh, yeah, just it's... there's so much detail um, that it's it's yeah. the kind of show. It's almost interactive. <laughs> like it's almost like an interactive game where people are like pointing you and you're like, oh yeah, wow, I didn't even. I didn't even think of that. <laughs> you don't want to watch with me though, because oftentimes I like when I'm watching with people, um, I'll end up pausing like every five seconds to oh. explain the significance of something. <laughs> well, <laughs> you may maybe still I'll enjoy beam it. myself into Caroline's home. No, yeah. I would love and, to hang out with you too. <laughs> you can and pause Caroline it. or Carolyn. Let me know how to pronounce your name. I want to make sure. I'm oh, in Carolyn there. Right. or Caroline? Caroline. Yeah. Uh, Caroline. Caroline. <laughs> Stay away from the light. <laughs> we know it's not that. Thank you, Lady Carolyn, for uh, writing in. Looking forward to hearing more from you. All right, that's our show, episode 47. Thanks for listening, everybody. You're here. <laughs> if, uh, if you like the podcast, you can help us in a couple of different ways. You can go to Facebook and give us a like on our page. You can throw us a rating or a review on iTunes. And uh, we're trying to build the listenership during the break between season seven and eight by continuing to provide content on a weekly basis throughout the, uh, throughout the gap. So hopefully, um, you know, more people will figure out that we exist because we'll be consistently providing material. So uh, if you like this show, go and uh, give us a review on iTunes. Uh, Maybe that'll help bring it to more people's attention. Yeah. We were sort of late into the game, so I know we uh, we definitely have fewer listeners than other Game of Thrones podcasts. And if you're really a Game of Thrones fan, you'll notice I said fewer, um, just like Stannis would have. So <laughs> that'll <laughs> so that'll give you some incentives to go <laughs> to go write a, uh, a review for us. No pressure. Thank you. If you'd like to call, you can always call us at eight one three five six three three seven three nine. That's eight one three Joffrey. If you'd like to write in, you can email us. That's right, at ravens at gameofmicrophones.com. Check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash gompodcast. I try to be really active on there, and uh, I love interacting with all you guys, so feel free to message us and um, post and comment and everything, and you'll hear from me for sure. Nice. Next episode, we will be talking about Season 1, Episode 6, A Golden Crown. Which I'm sure you guys remember. <laughs> Viserys gets the uh, the Drogo treatment, a crown that men will tremble to behold, which is really exciting. All right, that's our show. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thank you for listening. to see the bad man fly. Huzzah! Huzzah. (laughs) He's so grumpy.